Section 26 of Folklore and Legends, English. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Folklore and Legends, English, by Charles John Tibbets. Section 26. Legends of King Arthur. Immemorial tradition has asserted that King Arthur, his Queen Guinevere, court of lords and ladies, and his hounds, were enchanted in some cave of the crags, or in a hall below the castle of sewing shields, and would continue entranced there till some one should first blow a bugle horn that lay on a table near the entrance into the hall, and then, with the sword of stone, cut a garter also placed there beside it. But none had ever heard where the entrance to this enchanted hall was, till a farmer at Sewing Shields, about fifty years since, was sitting knitting on the ruins of the castle, and his clue fell and ran downwards through a bush of briars and nettles, as he supposed, into a deep subterranean passage. Full in the faith that the entrance into King Arthur's hall was now discovered, he cleared the briary portal of its weeds and rubbish, and entering a vaulted passage followed, in his darkling way, the web of his clue. The floor was infested with toads and lizards, and the dark wings of bats, disturbed by his unhallowed intrusion, flitted fearfully around him. At length his sinking faith was strengthened by a dim, distant light, which, as he advanced, grew gradually lighter till, all at once, he entered a vast and vaulted hall, in the center of which a fire without fuel, from a broad crevice in the floor, blazed with a high and lambent flame that showed all the carved walls and fretted roof, and the monarch and his queen and court reposing around in a theater of thrones and costly couches. On the floor, beyond the fire, lay the faithful and deep-toned pack of thirty couple of hounds, and on the table before it the spell-dissolving horn, sword, and garter. The farmer reverently but firmly grasped the sword, and as he drew it leisurely from its rusty scabbard, the eyes of the monarch and his courtiers began to open, and they rose till they sat upright. He cut the garter, and as the sword was being slowly sheathed, the spell assumed its ancient power, and they all gradually sank to rest, but not before the monarch lifted up his eyes and hands and exclaimed, Oh, woe betide that evil day on which this witless wight was born, who drew the sword, the garter cut, but never blew the bugle horn. Of this favorite tradition, the most remarkable variation is respecting the place where the farmer descended, some say that after the king's denunciation, terror brought on loss of memory, and the farmer was unable to give any correct account of his adventure, or the place where it occurred. All agree that Mrs. Spearman, the wife of another and more recent occupier of the estate, had a dream in which she saw a rich hoard of treasure among the ruins of the castle, and that for many days together she stood over workmen employed in searching for it but without success. Another version of the story has less of the pomp of the sceptered state 
than the preceding, and is evidently sprung from a baser original, but its verity is not the less to be depended upon. A shepherd one day, in quest of a strayed sheep on the crags, had his attention aroused by the scene around him, assuming an appearance he had never before witnessed. There seemed to be about it a more than wanted vividness, and such a deep solemnity hung over its aspect that its features became, as it were, palpably impressed upon his mind. While he was musing upon this unexpected occurrence, his steps were arrested by a ball of thread. This he laid hold of, and pursuing the path it pointed out, found it led into a cavern, in the recesses of which, as the guiding line used by miners in their explorations of devious passages, it appeared to lose itself. As he approached, he felt perforce constrained to follow the strange conductor that had so marvelously come into his hands. After passing through a long and dreary vestibule, he entered into an apartment in the interior. An immense fire blazed on the hearth, and cast its broad flashes with a wild unearthly glare to the remotest corner of the chamber over it was placed a huge cauldron as if preparations were being made for a feast on an extensive scale two hounds lay couchant on either side of the fireplace in the stillness of unbroken slumber the only remarkable piece of furniture in the apartment was a table covered with green cloth. At the head of the table, a being, considerably advanced in years, of a dignified mien, and clad in the habiliments of war, sat, as it were, fast asleep in an armchair. At the other end of the table lay a horn and a sword. Notwithstanding these signs of life, there prevailed a dead silence throughout the chamber, the very feeling of which made the shepherd reflect that he had advanced far beyond the limits of human experience, and that he was now in the presence of objects that belonged more to death than to life. The very idea made his flesh creep. He, however, had sufficient fortitude to advance to the table and lift the horn. The hounds pricked up their ears most fearfully, and the grisly veteran started up on his elbow, and raising his half-unwilling eyes, told the staggered hind that if he would blow the horn and draw the sword, he would confer upon him the honors of knighthood to last through time. Such unheard-of dignities, from a source so ghastly, either met with no appreciation from the awe-stricken swain, or the terror of finding himself alone in the company. It might be of malignant phantoms, who were only tempting him to his ruin became too urgent to be resisted, and therefore, proposing to divide the peril with a comrade, he groped his darkling way, as best his quaking limbs could support him, back to the blessed daylight. On his return, with a reinforcement of strength and courage, all traces of the former scene had disappeared. The crags presented their usual cheerful and quiet aspect, and every vestige of the opening of a cavern was obliterated. Thus failed another of the repeated opportunities for releasing the spell-bound king of Britain from the charmed sleep of ages. Within his rocky chamber he still sleeps on, as tradition tells, till the appointed hour, 
or if invited by his enchantress to participate in the illusions of the fairy festival it has charms for him no longer wasted with care he sits beside her the banquet untasted the pageantry unmasked by constraint her guest and from his native land withheld by sad necessity end of section twenty six